Welcome to Redefining Reality, where we live at the intersection of wellness, business, and the birth of a global tribe. So relax your body-mind, open your heart, and recognize that we are the ones we've been waiting for. Hi there, ho there. My friends, beautiful people, welcome back to another episode. My name is Brian Hardy, holistic nutritionist and lifestyle transformational coach. And it has been a minute. It has been a minute. I apologize to those of you who who like these episodes, who enjoy tuning into these episodes on the regular. Uh, in the past, have really gotten a lot of value out of these episodes particularly if you have been wanting a more, uh, what can I say, balanced, insane ideas, practices, approaches to maintaining immunity and resilience through this corona nonsense. Uh, And I call it nonsense not to disrespect anyone who's been affected by it because death is real and sickness is real. And I call it nonsense because it is so overblown and it is so non-scientific and it is so fear-based and it is so control-based. And I'm not going to get into the specific details. This is not the time or place to debate those things or for me to go off on a rant about those things. But for those of us that have been paying attention, not only is it clear that masks are a silly idea for anyone who is healthy, um, but that there's simple herbal and nutritional solutions to most of this danger. Um, And I have another episode coming out soon with Dr. Cass Ingram that is going to talk all about that. He is in the trenches. He is doing the research. He has been working as a nutritional doctor for decades. And he has the history and he has the case studies and he has the scientific literature to back up that when you combine multiple spices and herbs into a therapeutic formula, that pretty much nothing of an infectious nature has a chance. So that's why I call it nonsense. Now, today's episode is a long overdue episode. This is one that I recorded at the end of last year. Oh my goodness. Can it be that long ago? I think it was. I think it was September or October of 2019. And again, I apologize for having this on the back burner for so long. And uh, Josh, if you're listening to this, I apologize to you for having you wait so long for this to come out. Um, Yeah, it just, it didn't need to be delayed so long. But alas, I lost track of it. I lost track of the podcast. I lost track of being consistent with this Uh, form of communication and education and sharing. Um, And these episodes have been sitting on my hard drive ever since. So I want to get them out. I want to get them to you because there is some really great insights to be had from this podcast. And we talk about a lot of different things. And you'll see that Josh is really, in my eyes, he's, he's really the epitome of someone who's walking the middle path and who is living what he preaches 
and you know doing so by example and carving a, a real niche and building a bridge between the functional medicine world and the holistic nutrition world, which you will hear that he was the first, at least in Canada, holistic nutritionist to also get functional medicine training um, and has since gone on to make his own functional nutrition training program, uh, which I highly recommend to those who are just done a basic health coach or nutrition uh, program and who want to dive deeper. Something like his functional nutrition program is certainly going to be a great next step to deepen your knowledge and get really great clinically relevant insights and training. So, and we'll talk about that during the episode. You'll hear about that. We also talk about his favorite things for brain health, building the foundations for a healthy brain. We talk about him doing a bit of a modified fast experiment. And you've heard me talk about the fasting mimicking diet in the past. So he does his own version. Uh, We talk about fun things like how to make shiitake mushrooms produce thousands and thousands of units of vitamin D. Uh, and how you could use that as a a supplement and as a dried food form of vitamin D over the wintertime, which is pretty cool, especially because winter is fast approaching and immunity, uh, there's direct, direct, direct information saying that good vitamin D status is a huge factor for immune health and for this whole corona nonsense. So definitely make sure that you are getting your sunshine and that you are storing up your vitamin D for the darker months to come. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Again, thank you if you are here, if you are a longtime listener, if you've been patiently waiting or wondering or you were just thinking, what happened to Brian? What happened to his podcast? What the heck? I really enjoyed those episodes. Well, I want to tell you that I enjoyed them too, and I missed them, and I'm going to be doing them more regularly and just getting back in the content train. It's been a very interesting time, a very interesting year. Um, Lots of changes, lots of transformation, lots of transitions, lots of newness, new living situations, new working situations. Uh, Yeah, just lots of change. And I know that you probably feel that too in your own life because 2020... Again, this is a year of speeding up all of what's going on. And it's a really beautiful process when you can see the bigger picture and you can ride the waves instead of fight against them or be tossed among them. And that's, you know, that's exactly what someone like Josh exemplifies. And that's what I strive to embody as well and teach from and share from. Uh, so that it can come from a grounded place and a practical place for you to apply in your own life. So that is that. If you want to get in touch with me, you can do so via my website, brianhardy.ca. You can also do so via Instagram, brianhardy7, or on YouTube, same name on YouTube uh, and Facebook. Find me on all the places. If you want to talk about your own health, if you're struggling with your energy, with your digestion, with being able to recover from the stresses of daily life or some anxiety, some mental health stuff, then please, 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 please don't hesitate. Feel free to book a free 30-minute call with myself and uh, we can get a little bit more health clarity for your picture. Now, you will find the show notes for this episode over at brianhardy.ca forward slash Josh, that's J-O-S-H, where I took notes and linked to various things mentioned. 
in this podcast. You can definitely find some more support over there. You can find some of the products that I really love and use regularly over there. Things like Vitaging Herbs and Mushrooms. Things like Neurohacker Qualia. Uh, yeah, there's, there's some fun stuff over there. And without further ado, I'll get into the interview and just let you know that we are going to play out this episode with the song Grow by Satsang, which is an amazing song, a very truthful, joyous song that I like to come back to every now and then and sing and reaffirm and let that musical medicine do its magic on me. So I want to leave you with that at the end of this episode. Again, if you appreciate this, definitely like it, share it, leave a rating or review in iTunes, and feel free to be in touch about podcast guest ideas or sharing what your own you know journey has been in health, and uh, we can all walk this path together as we grow and maintain and increase our collective vitality so we can overcome the challenges to come because I do anticipate more challenges and more rounds of this nonsense and more clamping down by authorities. So we got to be prepared. We got to be ready and we got to be self-reliant when that happens. Okay. Enjoy this episode with Josh and I'll catch you soon. Welcome back my friends to another episode of Redefining Reality. Today I have a special guest, Mr. Josh Gitalis. And uh, Josh is a clinical nutritionist, functional medicine practitioner, educator, um, really just a someone who's, in my eyes, um, at least in the local Toronto scene where, where we're both located, someone who's really leading that approach and, and bridging the worlds between functional medicine and nutrition, uh, which is really cool. And I first met Josh, actually, as he was giving a after-school talk to myself and a group of students at, uh, at IHN. And um, it was clear that he was very passionate about what he does and very, you know, um, research-driven and, um, you know, on the cutting edge of what's working for people and what's giving people the best outcomes. So welcome to the show, Josh. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. And uh, it really is that combining of the functional approach with some of the, you know, uh, whether it's Ayurveda or Chinese herbs or Western herbalism even, um, and, and bridging this scientific, almost medical basis for examining someone's health with the more holistic Eastern approach. Um, and I wonder, you know, did you have a sense that you wanted to do that a lot, the whole time you were sort of studying this path or did that just develop? Like, like give us a, you know, the short walkthrough of how you got to be doing this work and sort of, you know, following, following this path that's, uh, that's yours today. Absolutely. Well, you know, I've always been interested in the body. I've always enjoyed playing sports, you know, working with the body. Um, I uh, did kinesiology in university as my undergrad. And in my fourth year, I spent uh, some time on the football team, school football team, as an athletic trainer. It was a part of sort of a athletic trainer placement. And we got to get exposed to a lot of cool things. Uh, of course, I saw a lot of injuries, taped a lot of ankles, um, did a lot of other cool stuff. But I realized like after I was finished my kinesiology degree that I didn't really want to go into any fields that you're sort of meant to go into after that. I, I wasn't interested exclusively in 
medicine or occupational therapy or physiotherapy. Um, I had an interest in so many different areas, uh, the mind, the body, nutrition, physical exercise. And I hadn't found something that really encapsulated it all and, and you know, got my fire going. Um, but I knew it was out there. Uh, so after university, I took some time off. I went to go play in the mountains here in Canada. We have some incredible mountains in the West, uh, the Rocky Mountains. Um, did a lot of skiing, climbing, biking. And then I realized, you know, I got to work more on the brain. You know, my brain was turning to mush. I had so much fun on a physical level, but I, I wanted to kind of find my passion where I could apply my, um, you know, my skills and my, my, um, my brain, you know, essentially, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into in more detail too, which mm -hmm. is important for neurological health. So um, I came home and I just started searching, worked a little bit as a, as a um, health coach, got my personal trainer certification, did that for a little bit and realized I was really not having fun working with people who were just really interest, interested in the physical part of health right? In, in their physique mm -hmm. and, and kind of working out. I was more interested in kind of working in and going deeper and, and looking at nutrition and mental health and how it's all connected and really working with people who are sick. And as I, you know, so shortly thereafter, uh, after, you know, I, I was working as a personal trainer, I, I quit that and enrolled in nutrition school full-time and still didn't really know where I wanted to take it. But as time went on, I knew I wanted to work with not just only sick people, but people who had, you know, tried many different therapies and had had no success and also do it at the level of evidence that the medical standards are up to. Um, so I knew everything had to be evidence-based, backed by research and, um, you know, uh, explain to my clients in great detail so that they understood it as well and could pass that on to any other medical professional. And that's kind of the standard that I've lived up to as I've uh, built my practice. And correct me if I'm wrong, and you might not even know the answer to this, but are you, were you the first holistic nutrition slash, you know, non-doctor to go through and do the functional medicine uh, training? Yes, that is true. And I know because when I first learned about the program and then started studying with them and then applied to become certified, um, they told me that I wasn't allowed yet. And mm -hmm. I asked why. And they're like, well, you're not licensed, so we can't allow you. And, and I said, well, you know, I meet people at your conferences. I chat with a lot of people at your conferences. I'm doing part of what you're teaching already and what a lot of people don't know there. I'm just trying to, you know, refine my skills and get more information. So they listened to me and they allowed me to um, kind of apply for an exemption um, where I needed, you know, a number of things from them, including reference letters and, and, you know, case study reports and things like that. And they accepted me into the program. So I know because I had to go through those hoops that yeah. I was the first uh, one to, to be certified by them. Beautiful, beautiful. Paving the way. Paving the way Absolutely. for future uh, nutrition hopefuls and so forth. So very, very cool. Um, and then that brings us to, you know, jumping forward towards today where you are, you know, an educator, a clinician, um, I believe a father and, you know, doing things with, uh, with your wife as well, things that are bringing people into uh, the home and getting sort of practical, easy to understand information. And so um, on a day-to-day -day basis, what would you say are you mostly 
uh, still clinical and, and, and research-based, or where do you spend, spend the most of your time these days? Right. Well, I have about two things where I spend most of my time. One area is my clinical practice. So I'm regularly seeing people um, with various health issues in my clinic here in Toronto. And then the other part of my time is spent with my functional nutrition certification program. So we've certified people from over uh, 30 different countries around the world, um, hundreds of students. And uh, I love teaching and I love applying what I learn. So I've always observed teachers. I've always taught myself in some respect. And I've always had a passion for learning information, assimilating it, testing it out, and then passing it on to others so that they can use it as well. So I get all of those um, hungers fed through my practice. I get to you know, learn from my clients. I get to teach them on a one-to-one basis. I get to you know, learn from the research that I do and putting their protocols together and going to conferences and you know, doing seminars, webinars, and books and whatnot. And I also get that fed... Um, when I, you know, teach my students as well. So we could say maybe it's for, it's, it's for a bit of a selfish reason, but that's what feeds my brain. And if I want to be healthy, uh, I've got to do what my passion is and what my brain wants in order to keep it stimulated for the long term. Definitely. And I think that's often overlooked. Um, and I've, I've certainly had periods of my life, such as you described earlier, where it's, you know, uh, a lot of fun and not a lot of you know, new study or research or structure. Um, and yeah, you just you lose that edge, right? And you lose some of those faculties to recall and to remember and to synthesize information. So, I mean, I'm always, if, if someone that I'm going to who's an expert in any field, if they're not continuing to learn, then that's kind of a warning sign. Um, and I think that's true of clinicians as well, right? And if you're seeking a good clinician, you want someone who's reading and, and trying new things and, you know, isn't just stuck in their ways. Yeah. And especially when it comes to human health, because the research is changing so rapidly and we're learning so much, you know, we always think we know so much in the time where we're living, but we know such a small amount of, of information when it comes to understanding the human body, you know, in med school, they say that, uh, students, um, what they learn in their first year will be 30 to 50% of it will be obsolete by the time they've you know, gone through school and their residency and they're graduating. So that just illustrates how important it is to keep up to date with the information. And I often look at what I've been doing over the years. You know, I've been doing this for almost 12 years now and what I did you know, when I first started. And a lot of it is similar because if you're sticking to the fundamentals and you're dealing with true health, you know, the fundamentals don't change. We need sleep, we need good water, we need to move, we need good food. Uh, but some of the details, you know, around supplements, around diets, around how stuff works in the body have changed dramatically. You know, when I first started out, no one had even really heard of the ketogenic diet. Um, and then even going deeper, I remember when I first put protocols together, considering whether I was going to discuss with my client if that they should eat organic food, um, you know, because mm. it was such a fringe type of thing, right? And now everyone knows what organic food is. It's in Costco, it's in Walmart, it's in grocery stores. We have farmer's markets that have popped up everywhere. So it's not an obscure idea. But going back to the research, you know, we have to 
be uh, cutting edge. We have to keep updated. It takes 17 years for something to be uh, understood in the research and then to be adopted in clinical practice from the, in the medical system. Uh, you know, a, a great example of that is folic acid. Most people know now that folic acid, if you're deficient, it puts you at high risk for neural tube defects for, for a pregnant woman. Um, and pretty much every doctor now includes that in their protocol for women uh, in their practice who are looking to conceive. Hmm. But it took 30 years from the time that we knew that folic acid deficiency created neural tube defects to the point where it was common practice. Um, and think about how many babies were affected in that lag period. And we're talking about one milligram of folic acid, which has almost zero side effects, is perfectly safe and could have, you know, saved a lot of hardship for a lot of people. So to be, you know, up and up on the research is critical and important uh, with, with, with health research. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get really upset and frustrated, you just have to look at a few statistics like that and see how, oh, we, we've known this was an issue for a long time and yet it just hasn't gotten into common practice, um, which is unfortunate. And hopefully that's shifting. Hopefully that timeline is shrinking as the internet and access to information become more and more widespread um, and we can get feedback in real time. Um, but it is, it is a little frightening to think that, um, especially, you know, for people who in our culture, many times, you know, people really almost worship their doctors in a sense, they give all their responsibility to this, this, you know, um, this figure, you know, this white coated figure and don't question things or don't, you know, dig a little deeper, um, to see if what they're getting is really the, you know, the best practices, or is it just what's been allowed by their, um, you know, their governing body? Is it just what's been, you know, standardized and approved, um, which can be very different, as I'm sure, you know, you've experienced very different between what the standard of practice or standard of care is and what is actually optimal care. Um, and so, you know, continuing to bridge that gap is something that I know is important to me and, and I'm sure is important to you as well. And, and, you know, I guess that's, a big piece of, of why you get to um, pass that on to other students um, and help to eliminate some of that delay in getting people what they actually need. Yeah, definitely. And it's a, it's an exploding industry. You know, I had a student ask a question in one of my classes recently. She said she was at her doctor and, and telling him a couple of things we learned on vitamin C and some other things. And um, I think it was pertaining to her health and he said, you know, supplements don't work. Now, a statement like that is like denying a massive amount of literature and not just literature that's in, you know, maybe some alternative journals, but literature that's in the journals that he probably gets on a regular basis. It's just mm -hmm. a completely ignorant comment. It, it, it's basically an admission that I haven't looked at one piece of research in the past hundred years beyond what maybe the pharmaceutical companies come into my office and tell me about when they're trying to sell me drugs. Yeah. Um, you know, so th there's a lot out there and it really is the meshing of the natural and the medical where the magic happens. You know, 
I don't tell, ever tell my clients that there's no place for medical. There's absolutely 100% a place for medical. We just have to know what the utility of the medical system is. And it's there for stabilization and for emergencies. You know, if I get in a car accident and have, you know, some major cuts, I'm not going to say, hey, take me to a nutritionist to give me some vitamin C to help my collagen formation. No, I'm going to say, take, take me straight to the hospital you know, stitch me up, stabilize me. And then I'm going to seek maybe some alternative therapies to speed the healing and help my recovery, which is, you know, something that medicine doesn't do. So we mm -hmm. have to know the utility of both and where both fit in. Another really great example of the, of, you know, finding the best of both worlds is we use a lot of standard medical blood tests when doing assessments and gathering information on, on the clients. Now, some of them are, can be tremendous markers for telling us if we're moving towards disease. What they're typically used for in medicine is to diagnose disease. But when we look at what are called the optimal ranges versus the normal ranges, it tells us when you're kind of on those warning tracks. You know, when you're taking off from a plane in a plane and you get the runway, but then closer to the edge of the runway, there's those lines that say, hey, you better pull up or else you're going to ride right off the runway. Um, that's what these numbers can tell us. And you can see years in advance when people are moving towards type 2 diabetes, when they're moving towards cardiovascular disease, when they're increasing their risk factors for cancer. And it's just a matter of spotting those and using those tests to understand that this person is out of balance and then bringing them back into balance. Totally. Totally. And, uh, yeah, there's definitely a place for everything, right? It's not a, a us versus them. It's a us with them and how do we work in synergy and uh, ultimately just create the best outcomes for the people that we're serving. Right? I think that's, that's what it all comes down to. And um, we, we, we can keep focused on that uh, rather than, you know, a drug company's bottom line or, you know, doing more surgeries because that's what, you know, makes money in hospitals. It'll bring a lot more sanity, I think, and, and true wellness to people. Um, but again, we're sort of preaching to the choir here, given that uh, this is what we do. Um, but either way, it's, it's just good to know that you're out there doing that um, and have the science that can back it up, right? Because that, that is important. Um, and I want to dive a little bit deeper now into a couple specific areas. Um, neurological health, brain health, you know, cognition this is an area that's getting a lot of attention these days. Um, there's, you know, different angles that people come to it through. Some people are coming from the, you know, like nootropics and, you know, smart drugs uh, sort of approach, which is more of like the biohacking world, I guess, even using devices like lasers and lights and so forth. Um, and that can all be well and good. And if we don't have a foundation built, then it's kind of, you know, like trying to, just patch, patch our way, uh, you know, into building something that's that's going to work for the long term, but using really crappy materials in a sense to do it, um, or just ignoring the foundation. Really, is probably a better analogy. Um, and so, I wonder for you, you know, what are the the key things that you're both, you know, asking clients about to assess how well their brain is functioning. Um, and then what are the, like the, the foundational principles? Like if they could only do, you know, three things or five things, um, where would you have them start in really turning the picture around? 
Mm-hmm. Well, let's start with one thing. Really make it easy. Mm-hmm. I'd say probably one of the most important things for brain health is sleep. And this is something that is a lot of people are deficient of. If you think about it like a nutrient, you could be deficient in vitamin C and get scurvy. You could be deficient in sleep and get a whole bunch of problems. It is the most important state we can be in uh, for regeneration. When we're in sleep, deep sleep, we turn on a system in our brain called the lymphatic system, which was only discovered about seven years ago. It's like the brain's lymphatic system. And what it does is it kind of clears all the debris from the day and allows the brain to regenerate. This only turns on if we're in deep sleep. So if you're in lighter stages of sleep or you're missing out on sleep or you're not getting a full night's sleep, you're losing out on that tremendous opportunity to really regenerate the brain. I think most people feel when they don't get enough sleep that their cognition just isn't up to snuff, right? Like they're, they're, they're not thinking as fast. They feel tired, obviously. Um, you know, they can't remember things as well. And this is definitely uh, a key factor. And that's what I call one of the fundamentals is sleep. You know, there's certain fundamentals that if they're not addressed, nothing else works. We need, we need sleep. We need to move in some way. And there's a, obviously a massive amount of uh, evidence and research on how exercise and movement increases things like brain-derived neurotropic factor, which increases neurogenesis in the brain. Uh, exercise is going to increase blood flow and brain perfusion to the brain. So it's going to bring more nutrients to that area. It's going to increase oxygenation of our brain. And then, of course, it releases a whole bunch of other great chemicals like endorphins that just make us feel good because they're neurotransmitters that uh, hit receptors that, that just give us that good feeling. So there's a few mechanisms by which exercise and movement helps, another fundamental. And then we need some type of stress processing items, some downtime, some decompression time where you're you know, it could be meditation, it could be a walk in nature, it could be, you know, an, a conversation with a good friend, it could be some music, it could be anything that takes us from that more go, go, go uh, state that we're in most of the day, what we also call the fight or flight state, or which is a function of the sympathetic nervous system, and takes us down into what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, or that rest and digest, stop and think mode. And when you do that, you allow healing to happen. You switch your body from this breaking down catabolic, you know, liberate resources to deal with the situation type of state to a state where it's time to build up, regenerate, get that brain repaired. Uh, and that is super important. And again, everyone is just go, go, go all the time. Um, so we, we need the sleep, we need the movement, we need um, you know, some downtime. And then of course we need a good diet. I think, you know, we, you know, we see muscles on the outside of the body. We know that if we want to build muscle, we need protein, we need amino acids to build that muscle. And we know we need to stimulate that muscle with exercise, right? That muscle isn't going to grow at all unless you stress it a little bit. And that's, you know, easily understood by people because we can see it, we can feel it. Um, when it comes to the brain, it's a little bit more hidden in terms of the organ. And it also needs certain nutrients. It also needs stimulation in order to stay healthy. 
So just like the muscle has raw materials it's built out of like amino acids, so does the brain and nervous system. The brain is made up of a massive amount of fat. A big portion of that fat is made up of these long chain uh, omega-3s called DHA is one of them, which makes up about 13% of the brain, of that, that fatty substance. And those are critical for communication. Another critical ingredient in the brain is cholesterol. You know, 25% of all the body's cholesterol is in the brain and the nervous system. Uh, we, we, we've seen in studies that when cholesterol uh, goes down rapidly, uh, for example, when people go on statins, suicide rates and depression rates increase uh, in, in relation to that. So cholesterol is so important for brain and nervous system health. Uh, and then we need other sort of supporting nutrients like B vitamins, magnesium to actually help make neurotransmitters for the communication in the brain. Um, but, uh, you know, those are some of the elements that are necessary for optimal brain health. And then, of course, you know, just like the muscle needs to, you know, have that stimulation, that, 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 um, that, that gradual um, uh, pushing of the muscle, you know, you, you're lifting harder and harder weights. So does our brain need that to stay healthy. When we don't have novelty, people get depressed, they get bored, they get, um, they get anxious, they get way more negative feelings than when they are stimulated, excited about life, have a purpose, have a job they want to wake up to. That helps to make new neurotransmitters and new connections. And that's what the brain loves. So those are some, a few basic things that are really important for, for brain health. Yeah, that's a fantastic, fantastic way to start. And uh, I just want to emphasize because Lord knows I've been guilty of this from time to time, that if you are trying to get some decompression and you're you know, going for a walk in the woods, but if you're checking your phone every like few minutes and, you know, taking pictures and, you know, doing your social media, whatever, then you're probably not going to get the benefits to the degree that you're looking for. Um, I think, you know, getting rid of the, the artificial stimulation, be that through, you know, chemicals or technology, which seems to be the most insidious these days in most of our lives, um, making sure that that's being mitigated, right, at least for part of the day. Right, having sort of those hard rules where, okay, I'm not going to check my phone for this next 30 minutes or 60 minutes or whatever it is, and fully allow yourself to really just be present, um, that you'll find there's, there's a depth that you can access where you're going to feel energized, more recovered, more connected, um, and just ready to you know, go on and keep doing your thing. Um, so I just want to throw that in there to make sure people... Um, you know, recognize that uh, downtime has to actually be downtime, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that you threw that in there, Brian, because, you know, whenever I look at someone's diet and lifestyle, I'm thinking about two things. What do we have to take out and what do we have to put in? So in, in that same vein, if we want to help someone decompress, we got to take out the stuff that's constantly stimulating them. And cell phones and that constant, you know, checking and, and stimulation from that wears down people's nervous systems. I am very worried about the generation that's growing up right now. You know, when I was in even high school, no one had cell phones. 
Uh, and you know, recently, uh, I saw in at, at the gym, they have a TV there and it, it was just playing, you know, news clips. And it showed that, uh, here in Ontario, we, cell phones are now banned from classrooms. Um, so that's actually a thing, right? That's actually a thing that pulls the attention away from these kids. And, you know, kids are getting iPads and cell phones and all this stuff that not only is taking their attention away, but is training them not to have attention on one thing. It's like, you know, an Instagram feed, it's like picture after picture after picture, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to watch a show, you had to sit down for 30 minutes and focus on the one show. Uh, mm -hmm. You had to sit through all those annoying commercials. But today, there's just so much so fast that it's inducing ADD and ADHD on people, right? It's like, it's a perfect recipe for that. So yeah. we need to take these devices away and, and limit them um, because they just need to be used in the right way. The other factor that we have to consider with these is the radiation that they put out. Uh, we know a little bit about it, but there's tons we don't know. And every once in a while, I see a study that adds just another piece to this. Um, you know, I, was, I, I just posted something on my Facebook page uh, about a week ago showing that uh, people who have eczema and use a cell phone in their hand, uh, it exacerbates their eczema a lot more than someone who doesn't use a cell phone, right? So we have this non-iodizing radiation coming from the cell phone, but it's having all these other consequences. It increases inflammation. It's been shown to affect fertility. It's been shown for people who use it, have used a cell phone for 10 years or more uh, up to their ear that it's increased brain tumor risk. Um, you know, a lot of women carry it right in their bra, which just is a bit scary. I, I, I attended a lecture once where they were showing women who were diagnosed with tumors right where their cell phone was sort of on the inner portion of the breast, which is a very uncommon place to get breast tumors. Mm. So we have to use these devices uh, very responsibly. Definitely, definitely. Um, and then in terms of the omega-3 uh, side of things, I'd love to see if you have an opinion on this. Over the past six months or so maybe, um, a few people in the health space, people who I've, I've you know, trusted and respected in many cases, um, have sort of been coming out with uh, this idea that essential fatty acids might not be essential, um, or at least not to the degree that we think they are, um, in that you know, regardless if we're eating something, an omega-3 or, or 6, that you know, is, is quote-unquote uh, fresh, right, or cold-pressed or, you know, um, not rancid, um, that our body is somehow going to take that in and use it and it's going to stay not rancid. Um, have you, have you looked into this at all or heard anything about this? Um, well, anything in the body has to be in balance, right? Mm. And often in the health world and in the media, we go from one extreme to another, one extreme to another. And people mm. all believe one extreme and then someone else comes out with the opposing extreme and that's clickbait and everyone goes there and is interested in that. And we, we flip flop back and forth. But as with anything in the body, we have to find balance and it's not as sexy as these extreme ideas, but it's the one that stands the test of time. So we need a certain amount of omega-3s. We need a certain amount of omega-6s. The ratio of about 
uh, four or three to one of omega-6 to omega-3 seems to be what's right for our body. And there are two essential fatty acids, you know, quick biochemistry lesson here. We have alpha-linolenic acid, which is an omega-3, and alpha-linoleic acid, which is an omega-6. And we can make every other fat in our body from those two fatty acids. That's why they're called essential. But some people are really poor um, converters of the omega-3 to the longer omega-3. So from the alpha-linolenic acid to mm. things like DHA and EPA, whereas some people are wonderful converters. So that's just a genetic predisposition to being able to make that conversion. Put on top of that how there's nutrients that are cofactors for all the enzymes along the way there. And if we're deficient in any of those nutrients, which a lot of people are, that's going to slow the conversion as well. So that's when we can jump to the uh, preformed um, uh, forms of those nutrients. So, you know, if you eat fish, they've already done all that work for you. They're going to give you the EPA and DHA. Of course, there are supplements that have that. But you don't want to overdo the omega-3s either because, as I mentioned before, you need omega-6s to omega-3s in about a 3 or 4 to 1 ratio. And we can flip-flop it the other way and take too much. Now, if we look at people on the standard American diet, they're consuming omega-6s to omega-3s in about a 20 to 50 to 1 ratio, which really sets the body up for a massive inflammatory environment. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it, 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 it's like a trigger that's just so sensitive. And then all of a sudden you have one thing that, that you know, sets it off and you're in big trouble. So that's where most of the attention is. Most of the attention has been given to the standard American diet or people just eating you know, processed foods. Um, whereas you know, a lot of what I do is fine-tuning with people. Many of my clients are quite educated. As you mentioned before, because there is so much information out there, there's podcasts like yours, there's you know, uh, you know, summits all the time. There's just so much information now that a lot of my clients come to me pretty educated and they're eating a pretty good diet to begin with. So a lot of it becomes kind of fine-tuning. And some of it you can determine just through looking at diet lifestyle and, and what their history is. And sometimes we have to do some testing. So there's pretty easy, um, inexpensive blood tests you can get to check your omegas, uh, to check your fatty acids. Uh, and that really is a, a really good place to go instead of guessing and arguing back and forth of what's right and what's wrong. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it's, it's been something that, that's caught my attention and I'm just sort of digging more and more into. And, uh, because, you know, even in the alternative, you know, uh, or complementary health space, people are still, you know, uh, subject to forming rigid opinions. Um, and I guess that's really, uh, the, the thing to be aware of, right. Is not getting overly attached or identified with any particular approach. Uh, because, as we stated earlier, things can change really quickly, and they do change. Um, and so, you know, instead of, of worrying about those things, it just focus on the common sense foundations, and you know, fine tune along the way, which definitely makes a lot more sense, and uh, I think produces a lot less neurosis than uh, the flip flopping and uh, extremism that is so popular. Um, and that sells a lot of, you know, stuff in general. I guess that's, it's a marketing tactic, as you said, clickbait. Um, 
So not to get uh, bogged down in that. Um, but then also on this side of brain health, I'm wondering if you have particular herbs or um, you know medicinal mushrooms or supplements or, or things that you find either personally or in your practice can um, – you know, can really be overlooked by a lot of people, but can provide, you know, a decent amount of benefit um, just by plugging those things in. For sure. I'd love to get into that. But before I do, I'm going to preempt it by saying I work with a lot of people with all sorts of neurological issues. Um, I actually have a client right now we're working with uh, whose father and whose father's two siblings uh, passed away from this early onset brain degeneration. They don't even know what it is. They did autopsies. Um, they were in their 50s. So she's just trying to optimize her brain health. And the model I use is was put forth by Dr. Dale Bredesen, uh, who published a wonderful paper mm-hmm. back in 2014, showing that there's at least 36 factors we need to optimize for optimal brain health. And, you know, I started, when I first learned about this study, I started reading it. And I looked down the list and it was just all stuff that functional medicine practitioners have been doing for years or that I had been doing for years just as a nutritionist. Um, He was just kind of formalizing it and trying to bring it into the journals and uh, being able to study it to to get it out there and to really give it some good uh, support. So if you look at that list of those 36 items, there's, I think, maybe one or two herbs or or, um, nutraceuticals on there, nootropics. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas everything else is just the basics, right? Like optimizing sleep, reducing stress, you know, not eating too many carbs, having good GI health, making sure your fasting insulin is low, making sure your inflammatory markers are low, making sure your B12 is optimal, making sure your vitamin D is optimal, uh, stimulating the brain, you know, so all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So you have to get that foundation before you really optimize the brain. Now, that being said, you can definitely dive into some of these more sexy uh, supplements and whatnot. Uh, to kind of optimize that or to, to help your brain while you're working on all these other things. Um, one of my favorites, which I consume almost on a daily basis, is called lion's mane. It's a mushroom that has been shown to increase neurogenesis. So if you're in a state where you are stimulating your brain, your brain wants to grow, wants to make new connections. We don't make new neurons, but we make new connections between those neurons. And we need hormones to stimulate that. And uh, lion's mane has been shown to actually help that. So that's, that's something that I really love and, and use a lot and recommend to my clients. Uh, also, the omegas, I think, are really important for most people. Again, we can test the blood just to make sure your levels are, are good and, and you can handle that. But a good uh, EPA, DHA supplement is, is a good thing to have. Uh, and then for some people who have trouble getting those long-chain omega-3s into the brain, uh, they might want to explore other forms of the EPA and DHA, which come in things like krill oil or fish roe, uh, which is also fish eggs or, or fish caviar, uh, like salmon, um, and even eating it in, in whole foods form like fish. Uh, because, you know, there's certain people with a what, what's called an APOE4 genetic mutation, which puts them at a much higher risk for Alzheimer's disease. And it's been shown that they have more trouble getting those fats past the blood-brain barrier into the brain. So they are going to want to have what, what are called these phospholipid forms of these oils or these fatty acids, and we can only find that in supplement form in, in krill oil. 
So that's another supplement that we use in certain situations. Um, and, you know, just one other factor, I find, I, I love to do personal experimentation, you know, uh, as we were talking about before this interview, I was, I was mentioning that I'm currently on a, uh, on a fast, my version of the fasting mimicking diet. So I like to try everything that I can before I actually recommend it to people. Uh, and I've tried all sorts of supplements. I've tried all sorts of, um, you know, diets and interventions. And I have to say that the one thing that fires up my brain more than anything else is exercising first thing in the morning. Mm. I'm not sure if, if you've noticed this, but uh, when, when I do a good hard workout first thing in the morning, my brain is just on fire in a good way the rest of the day. It's just, you know, I've, I've, I've set up on a good foot. I've, I've probably increased blood flow. I've released all these endorphins and everything is just easier. Um, and things don't feel as difficult. And I also have the luxury of being able to bike to work. It's about a 15 minute bike ride. So I get that added benefit too on days. It's not, you know, snowing with like 20 inches of snow on the ground, uh, mm -hmm. raining really hard. So I find that has been one of the best things for me going back to the movement piece. Definitely. And I've, I've certainly noticed that myself and have recently prioritized at least some basic, even if it's not a super, super intense workout in the morning um, as to overstress, you know, uh, myself in some situations, like if I haven't slept enough, you know, I'm not going to kill myself. Um, but definitely getting a good sweat and getting the blood flowing. Um, sometimes I like to do a sauna as part of that and then a cold shower. And it's like, everything is clear, you know, enlivened. Um, like you said, there's, there's just less sort of resistance throughout the rest of the day. Everything can flow better. You know, you've got more staying power in various tasks. You know, your, your sort of your resilience for the day has increased as a result of going through that beneficial stress. For sure. For sure. I also, um, I'm not sure if you've ever played around with these, but adaptogens are quite helpful for the brain as well. Um, mm -hmm. when you start to look at the adaptogen world. These are herbs that, basically help your body adapt to stress. That's why they were given that name. And they target certain processes in the body. One is called the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. But they have almost specializations. Like, you know, if you think about, you know, different cars for different things, you've got like the, the big wheel cars, you've got, you know, the fast, smaller ones, you've got trucks, and different ones have different functions. So um, an herb called bacopa, has a target on the brain um, and helping with cognition. A reishi mushroom is also a really great one for the brain. As I mentioned before, lion's mane. And then some other adaptogens like ashwagandha, um, rhodiola, um, gin the ginsengs. They're not as targeted as the brain, but they just help you deal with stress and help you feel more lively, more energized, which of course connects to how you feel neurologically as well. So, so that's another piece. And then... The final one I have to mention, which is so important for brain health, is vitamin D. We all have to be taking vitamin D and not just taking vitamin D, but, by, but checking our blood levels of vitamin D every three to six months until we figure out what the dose for us is right to get in the optimal range. Definitely. And especially for those that live in northern climates, such as we do, where it's, uh, you know, you're hard pressed to soak up enough vitamin D and store it up over the summer to maintain that optimal level. 
So I definitely can agree with that. And yeah, I love adaptogens. Uh, I pretty much recommend them to everybody, especially those that are chronically stressed and, and fatigued, um, just because they are so effective and relatively safe and, you know, get good results for most people. Um, so I'm a, I'm a huge fan and I regularly take, you know, many of the things that you mentioned there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And just an interesting aside, uh, people often wonder, or I definitely wondered at one point what, you know, sort of the native tribes here in Canada were doing over the winter with their vitamin D. And what's been found is that mushrooms can actually harness the power of the sun to make their own vitamin D. So if you take a mushroom, a fresh mushroom, and you put it upside down under the sun and let it dry out, it actually makes its own vitamin D. And it's been shown with shiitake mushrooms that they can make up to 40,000 IUs of vitamin D per shiitake mushroom. Isn't that incredible? Holy cow. And then, yeah, they they made teas with them or ate them over the winter. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I had heard that they could make vitamin D, but I didn't know any, I didn't have a quantifier uh, for that, but that is, uh, that's profound. Oh yeah. They like to tan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The more, the more I learn about mushrooms, the more I'm just fascinated and think, oh my goodness, like these little beings are in so many ways, you know, teaching us, healing us, helping us find, you know, balanced wellness and helping us adapt to stressful environments. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. They are quite incredible. And, and to think that they are the decomposers of this world, right? Like, you know, if you go walking in a forest, thousands and thousands of miles of mycelium are under your foot, breaking down all the organic matter and everything that's there. But yet they are one of the most powerful medicinal um, uh, herbs you can take to help keep you from ending up in the ground. So it's, it's very cool how Mother Nature works. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to say also for people who, depending on where they live, you had mentioned lion's mane. Um, I know the market that I go to, there's usually fresh lion's mane available um, to purchase and to cook up like any other mushroom. Um, and it is so delicious. So I definitely recommend people, um, to, you know, of course, look and see if you want to get a tincture or a powder, if you want to try something like this, cause that's just convenient, but also to see if you can find it in its whole food form, um, and just build a deeper connection to what that is. Um, cause I've certainly found that I, I appreciate these things more, uh, after getting, you know, exposure to all of their different forms. Um, yeah, it's, it's so cool. How do you like to eat, uh, lion's mane or mushrooms? Like what do you, what do you just saute them up or do you put them in certain dishes? Pretty much to saute them up, uh, lately Mm -hmm. as the seasons have changed, I've just, uh, cooked them sort of slow simmered them with some, uh, either like turkey or chicken bone broth. Um, maybe Mm. some fresh rosemary, fresh thyme, salt, pepper, um, and just let it sort of simmer away. And that's it. You don't have to do a whole lot, right? They're so tasty and, and it just works so well. Um, I haven't, I haven't really gotten much beyond that, to be honest. You know, I, I, I'll sometimes throw some ghee into the pan as well for a bit more extra fatty goodness. Um, but I, I like it simple for the most part. Yeah. And yeah, same here. Like, I don't think you have to do much to them. They're just so flavorful in and of themselves. 
Um, I, I love to saute them up. I mean, shiitakes are a little bit woodier, but you, you get delicious dishes from my takis and even the lion's mane. But a little side trick that, that me and my wife do is we'll, we'll save the stems of shiitakes and we'll put those in a bone broth, like you mentioned, um, mm-hmm. to really get all the goods from that and use the whole mushroom. Uh, and even uh, sometimes we will take some of the more medicinal mushrooms that you can't really eat and we'll put a couple slices or a couple chunks of that in our bone broth, like uh, shaga mushrooms, very hard. Um, we'll just put a little chunk in there or uh, even reishi mushroom. Uh, once that, that thing is dried out or even when it's not dried out, it's very hard and you need to boil these things for a long time to get all the medicinal benefits out. And we'll put that in a, in a bone broth as well. Um, to, 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 uh, make that bone broth even that more powerful. I love it. I love it. And really in this time, you know, fall time, winter time, uh, in my eyes, there's no better food for, you know, maintaining optimal immunity than something like that. Um, so definitely recommend to people listening, you know, if you don't make your own bone broth to start trying that, it's not that hard to do. Um, if you, even if you don't want to make it, you can find, you know, a, a nice local butcher or someone who's, you know, treating the animals correctly and, uh, and you know, they'll make it for you and you can add whatever other goodies into it. Um, because yeah, it's, uh, it's something that you, there's no substitute for, I've found, um, especially I've found with, you know, people that have been long-term vegetarians and vegans that a little bit of bone broth can go a long way. Um, if particularly if they're not feeling, you know, at their best. Absolutely. And, you know, this is, this is where it all begins in the kitchen, right? The cook of the family is the doctor of the family. So, you know, you can, again, take all the fancy supplements and nootropics and whatever's out there. But if you're not just doing this basic stuff, uh, none of it works. Definitely. Definitely. Um, Which, again, I imagine that you see with a lot of your clients that, uh, you know, there might be the too busy to cook, you know, excuse um, that's thrown around. And it's very common. It's very common. And I can understand where it comes from. And yet, if we are too busy to prioritize the thing that is most foundational to us, you know, living as human beings, then I think it's time to, you know, reevaluate our values and our priorities um, and sort of get things straight. Um, I was, I was contributing at a men's circle yesterday and that was one of the pieces that I shared around health and value and self-worth and, you know, um, how are we spending our time? How are we spending our energy? How are we spending our money? Where are we putting those things? And if our health is suffering, then, you know, why is that the case and how can we, uh, you know, reprioritize and just take a step back and, and not get, not get pulled into the insanity of our culture that wants you to be more productive, work more, sleep less, and, you know, just go, go, go. Um, so I love, I love that you have this, this very grounded, um, at least from my sense, very grounded approach. Um, and again, this is what I get from, I got from you know, hearing you speak and then seeing, you know, you, you and your, your wife and your family are regularly posting pictures of being out in nature and being in the kitchen. So uh, it really comes through that, you know, you're not just talking this, uh, you know, as good talk, but this is really just how you live, um, which is, I think, the inspiration that a lot of people are seeking. So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's been years of, of learning and refining 
and figuring out, you know, what the body wants, you know, how it wants to move, how it wants to work out, what it wants to be fed with and never ending that journey. Right. And, and I'm still trying to work on it. I'm still trying to figure it out and, and, and see where all this is going to take me. But, um, you get closer and closer to really being, uh, what we call in balance. Although the paradox of being in balance is that you never actually want to be in balance because then you're not in a good place. You're probably dead. Um, so we always want to be fluctuating in life, but you get closer and closer to what makes you happy and, and, and what really fulfills you. Definitely. Definitely. I believe the, the Japanese concept is ikigai, or it might not be pronounced like that, but it's that intersection of what the world needs, what you love, what you're good at, and what you know people uh, value and will pay you for. And if you can build your life around that, then you're definitely doing, you know, you're definitely doing great. I would say, you know, and, and you're 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 thriving in a sense that that's like the prerequisites for a truly thriving existence. I love that icky guy. Mm-hmm. Gonna use that one. Please do. Please do. Um, as we begin to wrap up here, there's a couple of questions I like to ask everybody. Uh, the first would be, you know, we live in a very accumulation uh, obsessed materialistic kind of culture. Um, and like we said, the overstimulation and the, you know, uh, saturation of technology, it's, it's really, you know, something we need to be aware of. Um, and something that can really throw a lot of us off from our game. Um, and that said, I wonder if there's anything that you are currently or recently have chosen, and this could be physical or not. Uh, this could be a thought form, a, a behavior, whatever it might be, but something that you've recently let go of or are in the process of letting go of. Mm. I mean, well, in regards to our conversation earlier, I'm currently letting go of food. <laughs> you know, I started, I started my fast uh, right now, I, almost exactly 24 hours ago. I'm going to be doing it for five days. Uh, I've done it a couple times. And a big part of a fast, I think, is the mental part of it. So we can all do it. The person who broke the world record for fasting did it for 380 days. Now, that being said, she was like, I think it was a she, I, uh, she was like in the 300s of pounds. Mm. Um, so she had a lot of energy to burn, but it's, it's mostly mental. And when I work with my clients doing fasts or intense protocols, detoxification, um, uh, you know, following a strict diet, doing a, an intense supplement regimen, and just really changing their way of life, um, it's... Most of it is the mental game in terms of impl impl implementation of it, right? Um, and how we perceive it. So every time I'm, I'm doing a fast or something that really challenges me physically, I'm changing my mental construct around it. I was just having a conversation with a friend about this recently, how the first time I did the fast or did a fast, it was going to be the first time that I didn't eat when I was hungry right? You know, we do that most of our life. It's a reflex. It's meant to be there. It's, it's your body telling you, hey, you need some calories to go, to go on here, go find some food. It's a natural, um, you know, innate response. But to go against that was, was my like first time in my whole life that I was going to go against that. And one of the surprising things that I learned right off the bat was that hunger doesn't worsen. It kind of reaches a plateau. You, you get 
most people are getting hungry between meals and then they go eat a meal. But when you push through that hunger, you, you eventually get to a point where you're not that hungry as hungry anymore. It, mm-hmm. it just plateaus and, and that pain doesn't get worse and you actually got to get used to it. So I've, I've let go of, of food. I've also tried in the past letting go of talking. So we pretty much talk in our whole life too. Maybe when we're born, it's just gibberish. But you know, a number of years ago, uh, I forget how many years ago, uh, when it, what year I did this now, but I did a Vipassana retreat, which is a 10-day meditation retreat where you don't talk for 10 days, literally. It's a silent retreat. So when you go into these extremes where you're really changing up how you're living on a day-to-day basis, I think you make some interesting distinctions and you learn a lot about yourself and how the mind works and how the body works. And you come out on the other side more enlightened, if you want to call it that, or just uh, having a better understanding of the different elements and the different flavors of life is the best way I can put it. Definitely. Definitely. And then not even to mention how much you will appreciate going back to food. Um, oh my God, going yeah. Back, going back to, <laughs> to talking after withholding, right? After, after going without. For sure. I mean, when I, was, when I did this last time, um, in my clinic here, I was sitting in my office and my assistant was cutting an orange in the kitchen, which is at the exact upper, uh, opposite end of the clinic. And the smell of that orange coming into my office was incredible. <laughs> like I had never smelt an orange like that in my life. And then when you end the fast, when you stop it, uh, food just is, it tastes so amazing. The food hasn't changed, but your perception of it has changed massively. So yeah, I love that you mentioned that because it really does mess with the senses and, and give us um, this, this, the, this uh, peek into how our senses are actually working on a day-to-day basis and that there's a much larger range of that sensory experience than we even know of. Uh, and it's kind of cool when you, when you flirt with that a little bit. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, not to mention just the, the gratitude and appreciation that can come with that. Um, I think that's why a lot of spiritual sure. traditions build fasting in, right? As part of their sort of uh, routines and rituals and practices, because we know that it, it's good for us, not not only just physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It's a nice reset um, that uh, we, we'll never get unless we you know, consciously choose it. For sure. And the other question that I'd like to ask everybody is, you know, people have been listening for a while. They've gotten to know you a little bit, your story, your approach, some of the uh, awesome little facts and, and uh, you know, things that we've shared through this episode. And if they wanted to keep learning, uh, dive a bit deeper, what might be three resources? This could be books, teachers, documentaries, what have you, that, uh, you know, made a, made a profound impact in your own journey that you might recommend people to uh, check out for themselves. Right. So I'm going to do a shameless plug here. And the first would be, especially on the topic of this podcast and and what you do in your podcast, uh, is my functional nutrition certification program. So it includes a number of courses on different topics, digestion, mental health, hormones, supplements. Uh, Each course is a standalone, but you can also take all of them. And then there's some extra elements added when you do the full certification. So that's an amazing way to continue 
continue your education. Um, in terms of sort of the mental part of it all, and one of the books that most impacted me uh, was is called A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. So I just read that book at the right time. It was the right message. It was the right wording. He framed it in a beautiful way. And it just changed the way I viewed the world uh, since I read it. So it was a very, very impactful book for me. Uh, and then in terms of a, a third resource, hmm, when you got to choose three, it makes it really difficult. Um, but there's a great website if people are interested in diving deep into specifics on supplements uh, called examine.com. And I use that as a resource daily in my clinical practice. Uh, and they're really up and up on the research. And they also make a whole other bunch of amazing publications. I have no vested interest in them. I just love what they do and uh, use them on a regular basis. So I'm throwing that out there as well. Beautiful. Beautiful. Those are fantastic resources and definitely things that I highly recommend checking out for those that are you know, keen to learn more and keep their education deepening. And uh, Josh, thank you so much for, for coming on and for, you know, doing this work and doing it consistently and, you know, really helping just guide people towards a much more sane and integrative way of, of living because it definitely is what the world needs uh, in a big way. And so it's awesome to know that there's guys out, out there like you that are, uh, you know, taking a stand for that. So thank you. Well, thank you. I mean, uh, this is my passion and pleasure. And thank you for giving me a forum to share that with others. My pleasure, my friend. And for people who want to uh, connect with you online, follow you, come see you in clinic, you know, just uh, get into the online world of Josh Gitalis, where would they uh, best be served to go? Uh, they can find all that information at joshgitalis.com. Okay, super easy. And for everyone who's been listening, I've been taking notes as we've been talking. I've got about two and a half, three pages. And um, I will link to those in the show notes for this episode, which will all be over at the blog, which is brianhardy.ca forward slash Josh. So super simple, easy to remember. And you'll find uh, links to the resources, references, things that Josh has recommended all over there. So... Until next time, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you again, Josh, for being here. And for those that uh, want to dive deeper, definitely keep it up. You know, this this journey is a lifelong journey. It's not has a de it has no has no destination, right? You just keep going deeper and deeper into the things that you love and that light you up. And uh, if we can push you or inspire you to continue that, then I'll count this as a success. And uh, you know, for everyone listening, I appreciate you all. Josh, appreciate you, appreciate you as well. Just stay on the line here while I close it out. And we'll catch you next time. It's
These are the times we've been stuck in Feeling out of luck And sometimes it's even hard to give a fuck Man, but honestly I know it builds character Even when they stare at you Keep your head up, don't let them perish you A beautiful life, although the money coming slow Remember slow better than no Remember love better when it glow Together we will grow and the things are getting better I know So when the sun's shining low Be finding right on time You'll all be fine and you can bet your last bottom dollar That if the rain shut me down today you won't be back tomorrow I'll keep us singing my songs, giving thanks and praises Letting it be heard that I'm grateful for these days There is not a man alive who could make me feel poor Cause what I got is worth much more I got air and water and love Friends that I'm certain will get it from above And everything that's new to me is an opportunity So I'm gonna grow well, I say everything that's new to me is an opportunity So I'm gonna grow, grow, grow And you can grow too The brethren, you can grow too, yeah I say that you can grow too, yeah Even though it's difficult, we got to keep moving, keep improving We got to keep our heartbeat booming Honestly, there really isn't any other way To be happy, be grateful for every day you wake And even when you're struggling, got to cop a hustle Man, I know how it be when your belly be rumbling Well, I've been hungry too, so I know I'm hungry too And if you need assistance, brother, just ask I got you, yeah Said if you need a hand I said I got you, yeah Keep us singing my songs, giving thanks and praises Letting it be heard that I'm grateful for these days There is not a man alive who could make me feel poor Cause what I got is worth much more I got air and water and love Friends that I'm certain were gifted from above And everything that's new to me is an opportunity So I'm gonna grow Well I say everything that's new to me is an opportunity So I'm gonna grow, grow, grow And you can grow Away with crazy. I stay humble like a flower growing through the concrete. Be thankful for everybody that they get to me. Be patient and forgiving as much as I can. But I give myself grace cause I am only a man. Only got two hands, but I'ma use both of them. Wrap them around my neighbors just to let them know I know when I'm hugging on my family. We growing every day. And I pray that we all grow this way. We keep us singing our song. Give thanks and praises. Letting it be heard that I'm grateful for these days. There is not a man alive who can make me feel poor Cause what I got is worth much more I got air and water and love Friends that I'm certain were gifted from above And everything that's new to me is an opportunity So I'm gonna grow Well I say everything that's new to me is an opportunity So I'm gonna grow, grow, grow And you can grow too